Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. So to introduce myself, I'm George Moriarty. I am the Chief Content Officer with Investment News. For those unfamiliar, Investment News is the resource for financial advisors owned by Bond Hill Group. We've been around for 25 years covering all things for the financial advice community. Prior to that, I was VP content editor-in-chief at Seeking Alpha, worked at Merrill Lynch as editor-in-chief of my Merrill website there, and was at thestreet.com before that. But the star of the show today is Ron Suber. Ron is a part-time entrepreneur, executive, sales, marketing, branding mentor, student, and coach. <laughs> Ron has spent his career creating and executing successful strategies, raising debt and equity for fintech ventures. And he's currently board of directors at Quill and at Yield Street, importantly, and advisory board member to Juvo Unison, Money360, House Canary, Money Lion, Earn Up, Sunday, Even Financial, and E Original. And in between all of that, Ron, you've been married for 29 years, accumulated one tattoo, and two grown children out there in San Francisco. All true. Thank you. So I'd like to kick it over to you to start, Ron, and I think what would be a really great way to start for the audience here is if you could give that overview of your background a little bit, but particularly your introduction to Yield Street, because when we were chatting earlier in the week, I found that really compelling, and I think that'll feed into the rest of our conversation today. I'm happy to, and I'm really looking forward to this being a two-way dialogue with the Yield Street community and everybody on with us today, and, and look forward to questions throughout this and at any time. So I spent 20 years on Wall Street, really trying to understand how it all works, custody, finance, trading, risk, and technology. And I became an entrepreneur about 15 years ago. And I worked in prime brokerage business and in the online lending business and have been chairman of the board of other lending companies that we've sold to big incumbents like Wells Fargo and News Corp. So I'm uh, passionate about what's happening here in FinTech and disruption. I started investing with Yield Street about four years ago, and I was looking for some yielding assets. And so for me, I'm about 35% in passive equities and about 20% in the investment of private companies and their equity, and about 45% in cash, where you earn about 1%, and unis, where you earn about 25 and Companies like Yield Street, which are short duration credit that accrues every day and pays every month, that yields eight or nine or 10%. And so as I was investing and getting to know the company and the products, 
I got to know the entrepreneurs, both uh, Melinda and Michael, and became an advisor to the company. And not only invested in the debt of the company, but invested in the equity. And got to know the company even more and joined the board of directors last year. So I'm very interested in the questions people have, the experience we have, and the continued success and popularity of Yield Street. I use it quite a bit and really enjoy the ability to all in an online, easy interface, leave cash at Yield Street in the wallet, and then build this diversified bespoke portfolio of different short duration credit assets and use the PRISM fund, which then creates this passive income flow that each of us enjoy at Yield Street today. That's really great. And that is uh, Joe Sancio is a former colleague of mine, went over to Yield Street. That's how I became familiar with it. Like you, very impressed by the platform and the strategy and the team they're building there. So sort of diving into the meat of our discussion today, and hopefully this is where we'll start getting some of those questions coming from the audience. So please don't be shy if you're out there listening to us. Our first topic, we wanted to get a little bit around sort of the broader macro area of technology and investor education. In this age of quarantine, how do you see technology helping streamline the education of accredited investors who are seeking to complement their advised portfolio with individual account management? And to give just a little bit of my own perspective on this, when I joined Merrill Lynch and was working there, I found it really interesting that that self-directed account was actually most often coming from people who were accredited investors and wanted to do exactly what you described that you do with your account here at Yield Street. So can you talk a little bit about that for us? I sure can. I think one of the most important things is for all of us to realize it's different now. And we're all trying to figure out what is the new normal, right? So whether it's retail or going to the movies or grocery stores or our finances, right? Getting our haircut, going to work, work from home, travel. It's all different now. And we can't do things the old way. And I think that it's not just for another week or two that we're in this, in this country and the world for a while. And I believe this whole thing's gonna look like a W, right? We went all the way down, we went up, and we may be going down again here with the outbreak, but everyone has their own theories. So because things are in the new normal, we have to deal with our finances and our money in a different way. So for me, not traveling, really not using cash, and not going to anyone's office, whether it's your wealth manager or your insurance broker or anywhere, we have to be able to do things online in an easy and transparent way. And that includes investing. And so I think people really need to understand that that old way of signing documents in people's offices and doing things in e-commerce, it's all different and we're all gonna get accustomed to this new way. And so whether you're paying your bills or investing or using platforms like Yield Street to create yield for your personal portfolio, it's here to stay. And so for me, the ability to do this with Yield Street, to see the deals, to see the opportunities, to see the status of my accounts, and then to invest in things like Prism over time, giving us diversified ways to put our money in the markets is what Yield Street's here to offer and that whole financial services wallet concept. I think the concept of investing in stocks is interesting and fascinating, and it's been a wild gyration already this year from March until now. And so this whole concept of the way we trade, the way we invest, and how platforms like Robinhood and Yield Street intertwine in our lives is going to be uh, increasing going forward. 
And so in that way, in sort of streamlining, what is, with your exposure to a lot of these fintechs, what have you seen, you know, with or without naming names, if you want to protect the innocent, you know, who's done it well with that streamline and that support of the education of the client? And what mistakes have you seen people make that where they have not been able to adapt as quickly in this past few months? Yeah, I think a lot of these online platforms have no more product to offer, that they're closed, they're not open for business. And that's not the case at Yield Street. It's open for business, you can log in, you can see there's opportunities on the platform today and more coming and of course Prism, which will be open for now and for the months, some great new opportunities. So I think the fact that it's open is important. A lot of them really are just closed and kind of in uh, shutdown mode for now. And I think the other thing that's really, I think I appreciate is the easy UX, the interface that we have with YieldStreet. It's very straightforward. You know where to go to get your valuation statements, your tax documents, and your ability to see the accrued interest and how you're doing in the wallet with cash balances and assets. So I think that a lot of the platforms have two and three different logons. So I might have an account for myself, account for a child, and an IRA account. And lots of platforms make me log in three different times. But the ability for me to just have one login to go to Yield Street and see the whole thing and kind of drill in and analyze things with pie charts and flow charts and, and charts just to see the history in the future and what money's coming next, I think is an important thing that Yield Street shows me so I can do my budgeting and my planning all on one secure website. That is really helpful. It gives that insight that we're looking for. Starting to see a question pop in here, and I'll get to that in a second. But before we do, I want to close this sort of macro view, if you will, with a little thought, if you can. Pre-COVID, we had seen the rise of digital payments, mobile money transfers, mobile investing. I, for one, had my first kid in college, and Venmo has become my best friend. Um, Post-COVID, you know, from what we're learning now and going forward, what innovations within financial services do you think are going to rise out of what's going on? So I think one of the most important changes we've seen is the concept of e-signature and no more paper. So the days of getting an email, printing something, signing your name, faxing it back, taking a picture, PDF, mailing it, FedExing, it's pretty much over. And I've been an advisor, investor, and DocuSign for many years. They've literally more than doubled in this COVID period because people are realizing and now accepting it's not a luxury, it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have. So this new era, we're gonna have new needs to have, whether it's grocery delivery, shopping online, investing on platforms like Yield Street or e-signature, these will just be new norms. And so our children or this young generation, the Gen X, Z millennials, their kids will ask them about the days of them going to malls or signing paper or investing in someone's office in that old way that simply won't exist. And I think Yield Street's part of that new online digital wealth manager, wallet investing cash flow platform, regular account, IRA account in a very streamlined manner. It's part of the new normal and the new future of investing cash and credit opportunities. And I have to say, we had not discussed DocuSign before you just mentioned them. One of my uh, brothers-in-law was asking about opportunities because he came into some cash at around the start of this when things first went down. And I said, e-signatures are going to be the thing. And I, I pointed him toward DocuSign. So that's, I guess we're of the same mind on that one. Mm. Let's get to our first question from the audience here. This is from um, Ali. 
or I should say Ali, how do you structure the backstop facility that you have that allows your origination partners to close? And how do your syndicated LPs then pay the expense of that? So that's a great question. I think of Yield Street like a three-legged stool. The right leg is the originations team. And they're out there talking to residential real estate and commercial and small business, and litigation finance and art finance groups that are looking to have Yield Street join in the financing of their projects and opportunities. And I can assure you that Yield Street has very tight credit policies and passes on lots and lots of deals. But when Yield Street and the originator complete due diligence and it's a go, it's a green light and two thumbs up, that originator pays Yield Street for the opportunity for Yield Street to take that investment, put it on its balance sheet for a day or a couple days or a week or two, and then offer it up to our Yield Street community, to the investors on the platform. And so the left leg is all of us where we are lending money and investing in deals. And the right leg is the origination team. And the middle leg are all the people, our teammates at Yield Street, the technology people, the marketing people, the accounting people, customer service and due diligence. And so we're trying to keep this as a very balanced, in unison, in sync, three-legged stool where there's the right deals coming in, the right investors, we have conversion and a match, and everybody wins, both the originators and the investors and Yield Street. Cool. Ali, thanks for being the first one to come to us with a question. You know, I look forward to hearing more from the crowd. Moving on now, you know, wanted to talk a little bit about as individual investors are looking at the debt markets, what are the considerations for debt investors today that you see? As you put it in a conversation, yield and coupon are great, but what else do they have to pay attention to to do this successfully? So I think collateral is key. And in the Yield Street University on each deal, they talk about the structure and the collateral. Are we first? Are we second? Are we senior to the equity versus the debt? Term and duration are critical, right? How long is this? And when do we get paid? Is it a monthly pay or quarterly pay? And then diversifying into the different kind of asset classes. So if you go into PRISM, you automatically are diversified into two or three or four or five different asset classes at any time. But if you're investing, I think it's important to spread your bets and to have perhaps some in the different asset categories if you're interested and not just have it all in one deal or all in one thing. So I think security is good, term, coupon, and then when things go wrong, who's doing the servicing and collections? And in credit, sometimes things do go wrong. There are delays, there are extensions, and that's something that Yield Street is doing for all of us in that servicing and collections, both at the company and outside the company with strategic partners. So for me, those are all the things I consider and maybe other people might wanna to consider too, is diversity, term, duration, yield, security, and the servicing aspect. Great. That's super. And uh, we have had a couple more questions come in from the audience. First, and this is getting uh, a specific to Yield Street from Emil. Are there any policies that protect clients' money and investing? So when we deposit cash at Yield Street, it doesn't, doesn't actually sit at Yield Street. It sits at a bank. And so we have FDI and C insurance on that cash. So there definitely is some safety and security in a third party bank actually holding the cash that enables us to leave cash at Yield Street and their partner bank. So when we decide to put money in PRISM or in a deal, we don't have to wire or ACH or mail a check or, or move money. So that's one of the benefits of having the wallet 
and having that money sit safely at a bank so we know that it's in a secure spot. As far as the deals go, I'm not sure if the question applies to any of the deals, but all the information about where everything sits and how the process goes and, and what are the risks and concern is posted in each deal and is posted in the library in the university on the Yield Street site. Excellent. And now we have a question coming in from Chris. Uh, this should be a quick one. He's just asking if you could please repeat, what's the expected or average monthly slash annual return? So each deal is different. It's a great question. Some of them are 5% deals and some of them are 10% deals. So for PRISM, I think it's expected to, to return around 7 or 8% net on a blended basis. And I encourage everybody to go to the Yield Street website and look at each of the opportunities for the expected returns and the duration, the term of the loan, and kind of the collateral and where everything sits. I think that's one of the benefits is the transparency that the platform provides to each of us to make that decision if we want to invest or not. So it's all disclosed. They're all unique and different. And then once you invest, you can see for each of your investments and or your portfolio and aggregate how it's doing and what is the yield coming and when is it coming and how does it pay out. So all of that information is on the site for each specific individual deal. Before you do the deal, if you don't do the deal, or if you do the deal, it's all transparent on the website for each one. Okay, great. So looking here, we have another question that just came in from an anonymous attendee. What are some future areas of alternative investments? This one didn't have a name attached to it. So that's a really good question. When I first got involved in investing in Yield Street, it was mostly real estate and some litigation finance. But they, the company, has looked at lots of other asset classes, whether it's commercial property or the art, which I'm very involved in on the investing side, or the marine shipping deals. And there's some other areas, other groups coming to Yield Street, asking if Yield Street will offer their asset class also. So I won't go in, into any of the specifics, but I would say there's never been a busier time at Yield Street for companies coming to the right leg, to the origination side, seeing if Yield Street would participate in these other new and unique asset classes. And I think everybody should watch for announcements in July and August for more deals and some different deals in different asset classes to see if it's of interest. But again, an easy way instead of looking at deal by deal is some investors may want to look at the PRISM fund and see if it works for them. It's an easy way. It's all online. You can invest and then it invests in a diversified series of products that Yield Street offers. Great. So for our next question, I am sort of was thinking about taking this one, but I think it could be interesting to hear your take on it because one of our attendees directed a question to me saying, what do I think of the future of financial media looks like over the next six to 12 months? Because I think financial media really informs investing. I want to spend just a quick minute on that, but then I'd love to hear your thoughts too, Ron, because I, you know, my background, I started really in the markets. I was a broker, but I was at the street.com with Jim Cramer and Herb Greenberg. I'm a big believer that an effective financial media is really important to effective and successful markets. So to answer this question, and I apologize that there's no name attached to this, what I see as the future of financial media over the next six to 12 months is regrettably in an area, in a market like today where advertising is going down, you've got to look at your sources. And in my mind, the media landscape has always won when the media companies focus on quality and they focus not on delivering content for 
clicks. They aren't delivering, call it the, the uh, real, they aren't trying to be reality programs, but they're trying to instead really educate the markets. I will use the example of investment news. We've been fortunate that we've been able to adapt and move quickly so that we have introduced a digital magazine for our subscribers. We also have maintained our print and we have been able to actually maintain it and reinvest and, and redirect some efforts to keep things going forward. And I think the, the other question was whether media can remain unbiased. I think there's always biased media out there, has been since Alexander Hamilton was writing his pseudonymous notes, but Unbiased media is what you should be reading. And if you don't occasionally find yourself challenged by one of the sources that you read, you should be seeking out different sources because you just might be in a confirmation bubble. But Ron, as a active investor with your experience, would love to hear your thoughts on what you look for in financial media and what you see for the, for the next little while. Yeah, so I don't get anything in paper. No newspaper, no magazine, no uh, books or anything. All of my stuff, all of my reading and education is online on my desktop, which I rarely use, or my iPad or my iPhone. So I think the first thing is it's all going digital, in my opinion. The second thing is I think you're right. You really have to look, is this a promoted piece? Is this actually advertising for an annuity or some non-transparent high fee product that Wall Street puts out a lot? Is it an advertorial where there's advertising and editorial comment or is someone really just sharing their observations and their lessons and their mistakes? So I read all kinds, whether it's Morningstar or Barron's or the Wall Street Journal, the FT Economist, and even you know Google Yahoo Finance have lots of good content about what's going on. My main source, or one of my main sources, is Bloomberg and CNBC. And I think you just have to really listen to different channels, to different views, and make sure that people are reporting their opinions, right? Their mistakes, their thoughts. The reality is nobody really knows, whether it's Mohammed Elarian, one of my favorites, or one of the talking heads on one of the shows, we're all just trying to process this new normal in a way we're all guessing, whether you're a professional money manager or not, or retail investors like us. So I think you really have to consume lots of different information, lots of different news, not just one angle, not just one source, and really make sure someone's not selling you something and getting paid for that in something that you're reading, that it's not biased, and really do your due diligence. There's nothing like really reading and understanding what that offering is. Absolutely. I appreciate your thoughts on that. I couldn't agree with you more. And now let's get back to the project at hand, uh, helping people invest. From David, we have a question. Is project finance a big part of the future? And then he adds for Yield Street Finance deals, that is. So I'm not exactly sure what project finance is that he's referring to. I can say that litigation finance is part of it, art finance is part of it, residential and commercial real estate, maybe some small business and some other marine type opportunities. The company has been presented with product finance, project finance, SaaS subscription service finance, some of the e-commerce finance opportunities. So the company has a team of people looking at all kinds of finance. I'm happy to take a follow-up question on a specific example of what project finance might be related to. Maybe you just added individual project finance. Does that help you zero in a little bit more? It doesn't. It would have to be just a, an example or maybe something submitted to Yield Street to the due diligence team to consider. So I'm not sure it's still what an example of individual product or project finance is, but okay. there's construction finance and all kinds of things that the company Yield Street's looking 
to see if it's a fit for Yield Street and us, right? The masses, the investors in the assets. Yeah, that might be one, David, for you to uh, maybe email somebody on the Yield Street team with some specific examples. Um, hope that helps. Moving on to some of the other questions, we have a note coming in here. Outside the asset classes that Yield Street offers, what's Ron interested in in the investment landscape? So that's a great question. I literally made two investments yesterday. So the second most popular website on the planet, I think, is YouTube, right? Google's first and Alibaba's third. And there's all these people with content and video libraries on YouTube that are looking for more cash and don't know how to optimize it. So not via Yield Street, but on the outside, I've just invested in buying up different libraries and content from people on YouTube who want the cash to move on to their next project where we can now monetize and redistribute on other platforms and in other countries, helping those people go on to their next project and kind of monetizing their content even more than they have. The other one I think is fascinating is just this world of e-commerce. So we know about Amazon, we know about Walmart and Target and Alibaba. There's all these independent resellers, independent entrepreneurs who are trying to have these internet businesses and it could be baby joggers or furniture or clothes that they have these e-commerce sites. So there's an opportunity now to answer the question to roll up all of these independent entrepreneurs to help them with their cost of capital, buying their businesses and optimizing their inventory, their shipping and their digital marketing. So in e-commerce, in addition to the YouTube example, I'm helping finance the roll up of all these independent mom and pop e-commerce retailers to make them bigger, to give them more capital and more efficiency and more supply chain support. So for me, those are some of the new things I invest in. Historically, I'd invested in consumer finance, invoice finance, some residential and commercial finance, and some other traditional asset-backed finance. But I think there's these new opportunities in this e-commerce post-COVID world, like those two examples. That's pretty interesting. I'm going to have to listen back and make sure I grab my own notes off of that. <laughs> so one more question, or not one more, we've got a few more, which is great, from Emil, who had, had a question earlier. He says, please elaborate how investing in galleries slash art can generate income in this market. So we have lots of people, lots of families, lots of companies that have tremendous amounts of art. And they may not want to have that art in their office or in their home. And it's worth a lot of money, right? Tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. And so there's a whole business around the world to help those people get liquidity on their art. So let's just say someone has $10 million of art across you know, five different pieces. They might say, look, I, I don't need these three pieces. I'm happy to put them in storage and insure them. And I'd like to borrow half the value. And so there are companies like Yield Street and its art finance group that look at the art, look at the collateral, make sure it's real, make sure there's a market for it popular and lend money to the owner of the art, but take possession of the art where that person pays interest to Yield Street and to us to get some short-term liquidity on this asset that they don't want to sell, but they might want to borrow some money against. So that's an example of a person or a family or a company that owns this art that may want to do something with cash flow and then a year from now pay us back and then they get their art back. So that would be a, a straightforward example of art finance for liquidity. 
Excellent. So I'm going to combine these next two questions because I think they kind of get to the same point. One is from uh, Ram and the other is from someone who I don't have their name. In the short term, what would be the safe expected rate of return on investments? And, you know, that leads tying that to, you know, in a low interest rate environment, how can we, you mentioned seven to 8% earlier, sort of how do you pair those two together? Well, you can put your money under your mattress and get zero. That's pretty safe unless there's a fire in your house and you have insurance, but you're not keeping up with inflation. You could go to one of the biggest banks and they'll probably pay you 20 basis points, right? 0.2% less than 1%. Or you could go to one of these online banks that want your money and they used to pay you like 2% and now they pay you like 1%. Again, doesn't keep up with inflation, relatively safe, relatively liquid or you could go buy a CD and lock your money up and get maybe two or two and a half percent. Or you could go buy a muni bond, right? At Fidelity or Vanguard or Schwab, they have all kinds of muni funds and they fluctuate based on interest and how is the municipality doing? And again, some of the municipalities are tied to trains and bridges and sporting events and even municipal bonds have had some issues just at a high level. So at Yield Street, you can look at each deal. There are deals at 5%, into the notes of the company. There's deals into PRISM at that seven, eight percent roughly, or there are some longer term deals that two, three and four year deals where there is maybe more risk, but there's more yield. And so each person has to kind of look at their own situation. When do they need the money? Are they diversified? Is this appropriate for them? And they have to really decide after reading each of the deals or the PRISM fund if this is for them. But I think in general that these are assets that fit in most people's portfolio, some percent. It could be as low as 5 or 10%, but I just think that this is one of the ways that each of us is going to have to try to find a way in our fixed income portfolio, whether that's cash, munis, or specialty credit and lending like Yield Street. How are we going to get our money back and get a return on our money in this new zero interest rate environment? Great. That is something that's got to be monitored. I mean, with rates so low, it really is wild. You know, where do you go? And lots of thoughts there. So I guess it speaks to the market we're in. You know, I would have thought if we held this webcast a year ago, we would have gotten the, this topic much earlier in the conversation. What's your perspective on crypto? <laughs> and where would I even get started investing in the all caps right way in that now? So I think crypto can best be exemplified by this story, and it's a 20-second story. In the very beginning of the internet, we had this www.http thing, and then we had email. And so everybody thought that email was what the internet was about. But the internet's really about YouTube and Google and Facebook and Amazon and all the e-commerce that we're doing on the internet. And so for crypto, people don't realize the blockchain is like that www.http example. It's the base of the whole thing. And that Bitcoin and different coins are like email. They're just the first app on the distributed ledger. Like email is just the first app on the internet. And so I personally am betting on the internet itself, not the coins. So for example, Coinbase, for example, is a custodian and an exchange and one of the places where all the distributed ledger coins custody and trade as is Robinhood and some of the other platforms. So for me, I'm betting on the infrastructure of the distributed ledger, like the infrastructure of the internet versus betting on the apps. 
So for me, I'm not investing in any of the coins per se. I might use them to pay for something, but I'm not using them as a store of value. But I think that the distributed ledger and the chains themselves will bring us tremendous ways. So all of our healthcare will be on a chain. We'll go to the doctor with a watch and we'll give the doctor a key to our blockchain where that doctor can see all of the past history and medical records and medicine. So betting on the concepts that the chain will deliver, I think is the way to do it. All right, so if you're right there, uh, a personal anecdote, 10 seconds, is my 85-year-old mother-in-law lives with us. She just relocated to Pennsylvania after living in New York her whole life. She had that blockchain. Boy, would that have been easier for when she got settled in down here. Exactly. All right, now going back to our questions, uh, Wendy asks, if Yield Street's considering investing in companies working on COVID-19 vaccine and therapeutics that are struggling to get investment by governments, and I think also something I know, a number of bonds have been issued around some of these COVID support programs. So, I mean, if I guess adding on to Wendy's question, is there an avenue for Yield Street to participate in some of those offerings as well? Yeah, that's a great question, Wendy. Thank you. I don't know of any at the moment that Yield Street's looking at. We could definitely check with the company and respond back. Remember, Yield Street primarily is investing on the debt side, right? So they're lending money to companies that want to borrow money and pay it back. And so lots of times those companies have to have some kind of asset or some kind of collateral, right? These are not private equity per se investments where Yield Street's showing us deals where we can invest in the equity of companies with no collateral. So I'm guessing if some company came to Yield Street and had some kind of collateral and some kind of security that the Yield Street due diligence team could look at, they would. But I don't know of any specific deals in the COVID space for Yield Street at the moment, but we could definitely could follow up and do some research. Yeah, I just, I recently did a, a separate video where I saw there were, I think B of A came to market with an offering targeting recovery efforts. And I believe it was Pfizer came to market with, with something as well. Mm-hmm. So definitely an interesting topic to see if you can get it. Because I think certainly the mindset is that you can only get into these on the uh, equity side in the early stage companies. Next up from Gene, they're asking about asset classes that are unique in the midst of COVID-19. And what asset classes are you particularly looking at? Yeah, so I think that a lot of the Wall Street companies and the banks and the non-financial lenders didn't lend a lot in that end of March, April, May, June period. And so Yield Street's seeing lots of companies come to it saying, look, we're doing, for example, $100 million financing. Would Yield Street like to take half or 25% of it, do the due diligence and participate with us in the building of this residential space or this art deal or something else? And so, yes, there were lots of deals that came in June or in May that went into the PRISM Fund and more in June. I do know there are some exciting new opportunities coming for all of us to review in July and August, where the company has been working very hard and doing due diligence and has signed letters of intent for more product and some new products, some new angles for us each to look at. Some will be offered to each of us doing individual deals, and some will be placed inside the PRISM Fund where people are investing to get access to that diversity and those new assets coming through. So I think we're gonna see lots of new things, some interesting new products and some additions to existing great products coming in the July and August time period, given so much of Wall Street isn't lending at the moment. Right, and now Ram has had a couple other questions. I think this is a good 
as we're starting to get a little close on time, I don't want to let this one get away because I think it's a good takeaway for people, is do you have a forecast for the investment market? Again, I think that the equity market, and this is just my personal opinion, I'm not a financial advisor, is way ahead of itself. It's ahead of the economy. It's ahead of reality. And I, I walk the streets and see what's happening with the dry cleaner whose business is still down 70 or 80% or the restaurant who's trying to open with some tables outside and other groups, whether it's movie theaters or, you know, haircutting places. I think it's really tough. And I think the government's done a really good job of flooding the markets with two, three and $4 trillion of liquidity and its asset purchases and the PPP loans for businesses. But personally, I, I would not be surprised just as a personal thing, if the market went down, quite a bit, given the economy doesn't do what some people are hoping for or expecting for in the third quarter. I'm optimistic. The glass is half full. I think we're you know, resilient and have lots of grit as a country and a world. But I personally think there's going to be some tough times ahead. So for me, I've been shifting a little bit out of equities and more into the credit space, into the places where I can invest and get yield and get diversity while the stock market figures out what it's going to do. It sure has been an interesting ride. You know, for some people betting against the stock market, they've lost a lot of money. A lot of people have missed it. So I think in general, look, you have to be in long-term with low fees. But I do think the equity markets are ahead of the, the markets themselves and the businesses that I'm talking to. Yeah, and I mean, they, I would just add on to that I, to emphasize your point we're seeing the recovery of the large corporations. They were in position to weather this a little bit, but my observation watching small communities, all of us being home and seeing, you know, I spend more time with my local deli guy than I have in <laughs> six months and right. talking to him, you know, he was way ahead of it. He as soon as this started in February, he said, watch out, this is going to be bad. And he had to manage it. And, you know, watching people have to manage that. I think the, Euphoria would be, isn't too strong a word to take to the reaction to that jobs report at the start of this month. Missed the point that there were still about 20 million people out of work. And, and it's not trying to be Dr. Doom about it. Just the reality that, hey, people are coming back to work. That's great. But there's a lot more work to do. That's, it, it was not a shallow dip by any means. Yeah, I, th I also think that we're in for a very nasty political session coming up in the states and at the presidential level. So I just think some of that uncertainty and some of that strike may affect some of the equity markets also. So I'm just kind of bracing for some volatility ahead in the markets and maybe in politics, even more than we have today. Yes, there's that. <laughs> so another question, and we do have a, about five more minutes, and this is if anyone else has something they want to throw in, that'd be great. But uh, last question for now is what would you say is the most intuitive, easy alternative investment market for someone to learn and to start their alternative investment experience in? Well, that's a really good question. I, I don't have a specific answer because I don't personally give advice. I think there's some really good Vanguard ETFs that are low cost, that are transparent, where people can learn to invest. So I have children in their mid to late 20s, and they are learning how to invest in different ETFs. So Schwab and Vanguard have all kinds of different investments that people can look at. On the equity side, there's something called VTI. Again, I'm not recommending it. It's Vanguard's biggest all equity, all US, low expense, passive investment. It has different municipal bond funds and and different other vehicles. 
But I think learning and reading on sites like Yield Street, whether you invest or not, it's totally up to you, helps you understand the opportunities out there. Is it a six-month deal? Is it a two-year deal? Is it in commercial real estate or residential real estate, right? In the work-from-home era, maybe we're not going to go to offices and some of those commercial buildings. So maybe you don't want to invest in commercial real estate, question mark. Everybody has to decide for themselves if we're going to be working from home more. And there's different parts of the country that are doing really well where people are moving to. And so maybe if you see a real estate deal, an apartment deal in a place where you think people are moving in the Sun Belt or South or or one of the coasts where it's growing, those might be interesting opportunities. But everyone's really got to do the research themselves and talk to their professional and financial advisors. But the concept of reading and learning here and really understanding what each opportunity is and isn't, I think is key and, and good advice forever. Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that is, so as a journalist, I've stayed out of investing, but I've been covering it long enough that I know enough to be dangerous. Anytime you're looking for an easy access, you're asking the wrong question. Do your homework. The most successful investors I know have spent a lot of time diving in and really investigating what they want to do. And I could not endorse your call around ETFs as a way to access commodities. There are ETFs one of the great names out there is the uh, Joe ETF that focuses on coffee futures. If, if you're really bullish on coffee, you know, you, you can do a lot of that, but do your homework. Don't think that there's some easy way to get into any of this. And so before we wrap up, have one more question here. And I think I'm, I know your answer, but it's from Chris. He's asking, would you consider early stage equity as an additional asset class? So most people who do early stage equity end up with companies that don't work out and they have to take the loss and write it off. So those people who do invest, do it in a very diversified way. So 10 or 20 or 30 investments where you're hoping that one or two or three or four are winners and make up for the ones that don't work. So I know a lot of people who've had a lot of success in investing in private companies. At the same time, I know a lot of people who never had a winner and just wished they had done something in a more simple, straightforward way, a more liquid way, and a less risky way. So it's to each their own. I think if you do it, you have to do it in a diversified way. And if you're not an expert, maybe you should give that money to somebody who does that investing on your behalf, who has more deal flow and more expertise and more diversity. So I think it's illiquid and risky and not for everybody. And each person's gotta kind of figure out if it works. One of the things I've learned is it's easy to get in and hard to get out. And these private investments on the equity side are definitely not easy to get out of. Yeah, I would say certainly having, in my time at Seeking Alpha, one of the things you saw in that early stage class is a lot more go to zero than go up. And to your point about the making sure you do your due diligence and have people who are getting you interested in an early stage story, make sure that they're using credible resources and not just people who have a personal experience that they're trying to solve. Pay a lot of attention to that. I think out of respect for everybody's time, we should start wrapping up. So Ron, this has been great. You know, our, our topic here was, you know, technology and investing. I think you gave a good insight over, you know, what to look for at the start, how things are going to be changing in the post COVID world with technology. But if you want to take a minute just to wrap up for everybody and then we can, uh, we can go about the rest of our days. Yeah. I, I think the, most important thing is really for everybody to stay safe 
mentally safe, emotionally safe, and physically safe. There's just lots out there right now that's unclear. I think people need to stay liquid and diversified and really make sure you understand what are your assets, what are your liabilities, and what cash flow needs do you have? And don't invest in things in general if you're going to need the money in three months or six months or one year or some shorter amount of time, right? No one has the answers. Investing is complicated. So I agree with you. It's not easy. And people should be diversified and make sure they're not just putting all their eggs in one basket. So I'm uh, proud to be part of Yield Street as an investor, as a member of the board, and look forward to interfacing with the Yield Street community much more going forward. Yeah, and this was my introduction to Yield Street. It's great to meet you, Ron. This was, I, I feel a little bit smarter, which is always a sign of a good conversation. And uh, pleasure to meet the Yield Street community for the first time. Hope this was an effective conversation. And uh, I guess we will turn it over to the admins to say thanks and, and put a wrap on this. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.